If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to John chapter 17. You can either uh, use your own Bible, open a pew Bible, or an open an app on your phone if that's what you prefer. Uh, but no matter what, we're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning as our primary text that we will re- read from. But as I think about this new series that we're embarking on called Rhythms, the subtitle is God's Design for Spiritual Transformation. And last week we really talked about how God has implemented from the very beginning a rhythm in our life, not just so that we can do work and get things done and go through the day-to-day, but also as a means that we can connect spiritually with Him. And when we connect with Him spiritually, our lives begin to to be changed and transformed more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we were designed to have rhythms, and God's design for spiritual transformation is that we would have spiritual rhythms as a part of our life. And so each week we're going to explore what one of those rhythms are and how we can enter into it. And last week we talked about Sabbath and the importance of entering into a rhythm of rest, a rhythm of being with God and allowing Him to give rest for our souls. And it's hard. It can be so difficult for us to take a 24-hour period and do no work. Because we live in a world, and specifically in a society that's constantly urging us to do, 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 and produce, and produce, and produce, and produce some more. But last week, Sabbath particularly reminds us that we are not what we produce, but we are who we are with. And so the more that we are with God, that defines more about our being than any amount of work that we could ever do. And as we start to begin to practice a rhythm of Sabbath, of rest in our life, then we have all these other rhythms that not just become easier, but they become so much more tangible, so much more effective in the way that they change us and they transform us. One of the most important rhythms that I can think of in my own life actually has a lot to do with the way that we look at Sabbath today, right? And what I mean by that is the gathering of the church body every Sunday together is one body where we come and we worship the Lord together. Where we sing songs and, and, and play music and read the scriptures together and hear teaching. Where we pray with one another. Where we greet one another. That's one of the significant rhythms that we've all established, and one that we often call as our Sabbath day. I think a lot of us would say, well, Sunday's my Sabbath. It's the day that the Lord has made that He set apart for me to be in and to be a part of and to engage in. That's my Sabbath. But I know that there are a lot of you that 
right after this, you probably go home, you prepare a big meal, you make sure that the table is set so that everyone can sit at it or whatever, or maybe it's just two of you or, or whatever it might be. Some of you just have things that you do right after this and you totally forget everything that happened in church. You totally forget that you came to begin your Sabbath here, and as soon as 12.15, 12.30 maybe, hits, you walk out and you just start doing your day-to-day instead of letting this be an entire day to just rest and be with God. Where you don't allow yourself to just cease from work and find God in what he wants to do in the rest of your Sunday. What would it look like if we actually Sabbathed for real after we met together on Sunday mornings? That makes it a little bit more difficult for me, right? And so I don't actually consider Sunday my Sabbath because I do work. (laughs) I have to do things on Sunday, whether it's teaching, leading, preaching, whatever it might be. And so I Sabbath on a different day, but I've particularly chosen a day where I just rest from the Lord. Do I do it well always? No, not always. But there is one thing that Sunday is for me that my Sabbath normally isn't, but it can be for you, is a rhythm of fellowship, or at least one aspect of the rhythm of fellowship together as believers in the body of Christ Moving and working, realizing that this isn't just something that I do as an individual, but it's something that I do with others. And so for me, Sunday becomes one of the most important times for me to engage in the fellowship of the body. To engage with one another, to be encouraged by you, to feel your love, the love of Jesus that comes from you. To be encouraged that everything I do Monday through Saturday isn't for naught. But that I can come together with you and feel connected in a way with Jesus that you simply can't get when you're alone. And so maybe you see Sunday as your Sabbath, but maybe you only see the first six hours of it as Sabbath. But I want to challenge you that you push it into the full day. And then on top of that, I want us to now start rethinking about how we view those first six hours when we engage in church together. Not that church is six hours long, but that you prepare yourself when you begin in the morning to come and meet and greet with other people. And so hear this. Let's listen to this word from Jesus this morning in John chapter 17. We're going to read verses 6 through 11. I have manifested your name to the men and women whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, 
I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I have come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we come to you this morning in hopes that our hearts would be open to receive your word, to hear the word that you have given and established us, and God, that it would quicken us to growth, to see something more deeply, more real spiritually than we've ever seen before. And God, that we would come to embrace you, and as we embrace you, we embrace those around us, covering them in the love of God covering them in the love of Jesus, covering them in the love of the Holy Spirit. So come and make much of yourself this morning as we hear these words. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So I just want to give a little bit of background on that text that we just read. Uh, you probably thought, well, that doesn't really sound like Jesus is speaking to anybody. It's, well, I mean, it does. It sounds like he's speaking to the Father. He's speaking to God. And we would refer to that as prayer, right? P- prayer. It starts with a P, prayer. We would define that as prayer. Talking to God is, is prayer. It's something that even Jesus himself did. Jesus prayed. He spoke to the Father. But what I love about chapter 17 is all of chapter 17 is considered the high priestly prayer. But it takes place in a larger discourse in John. In fact, what's happening in John 17 when Jesus starts praying comes right after the Last Supper. And so the disciples have gathered together. They have broken bread with one another. Jesus has shared with them at the table, as we will this morning. And then at the end of breaking bread and taking the cup, they begin to just converse with one another. They're sitting at the table, and they're having fellowship and talking, and they're listening to what Jesus has to say. And then the disciples are asking him questions, and he's responding to them. He's giving them answers to the thing that's on their heart. And they're wondering, what is this thing that is about to take place? Because then Jesus starts talking about how he's about to go away. They're like, what do you mean you're about to go away, Jesus? We're sitting right here with you at the table. You're not going anywhere. Mind you, this is the very night that Jesus would be betrayed. After they all get up from the table and they leave the upper room. And Jesus takes his three to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying in the garden, and then all of a sudden, Judas and some Roman soldiers show up, and Jesus is carried away. That's all about to happen in this night, but they're having this discourse beforehand, and it's a lively time, and the disciples are just sitting around, and they're getting to hear all these great things of, of Jesus, all this knowledge that Jesus possesses, all this wisdom that he has, And they're just soaking it in, but he starts talking about these weird things about how he's going away and 
the Holy Spirit is going to come in his place. And they're like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 what's going on? Like, no, this is great news, but also, what do you mean you're leaving us, Jesus? And then that's where we get in chapter 17 is at the very end of all their discussion, of all their conversation, of all their lively banter around the table. I mean, come on, real quick, just think about it for a second. How much do y'all love to sit around the table at Christmas time or Thanksgiving or really any time of the year with just some friends, close friends, and you start with a meal, but then at the end of that meal, you guys just sit there and you talk and you talk and you share story after story. That's all that's happening. Have you all ever thought of the Last Supper as a moment where friends are just gathered at the table and they're sharing with one another? And they're asking questions of one another and they're just getting to know each other a little bit better? But then somebody at the end of the conversation says, hey, like, this has been really great, but I'm moving next week to Alaska. And you hadn't heard this information before, and you're kind of shocked at the table when you hear this bit of information. You're like, what do you mean you're moving to Alaska? But here it's Jesus saying, I'm going to the cross. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving this world to go back to my Father. And so it's got to be a little of a bit of a shock and you know, once we get around to hearing that our friend is leaving for Alaska and we're like, okay, well, this is happening, you know, probably many of us would be like, well, let's pray for your journey. Let's pray for you. Let's, let's pray for what's about to happen. But the disciples, they're still, they can't move past the fact that they're like, Jesus, you're leaving us. You're, you've been leading us. You can't leave us. We're just like, no, I'm going away. But before I go away, let me pray for you. Ooh, just gives me the chills thinking about it. Can you just imagine sitting at the table with Jesus and he's like, let me pray for you. I've had some people in my life that I would love to have pray over me and have prayed over me. And it's always such a special moment, but I think Jesus would take the cake if he just looked at me as we sat at table and said, I want to pray for you. Let me pray for you. And this is the prayer that, that Jesus offers to them. In fact, specifically in verse 6, he begins to pray just for his disciples. Only for his disciples. He prays for the world. He prays for others. But he is really intent about praying for his disciples. That's the most important thing that he can be doing as he sits at table with them as he prepares to leave. But here's what I want us to think about. When Jesus is praying this prayer for his disciples, he's also praying it for us. He is praying at table for you and for me. He still sits on his throne in mediation to the Father on our behalf. Why would his prayer in heaven be any different than his prayer at the table with his twelve? I don't think that it would be. In fact, as I read this passage, I am more convinced that this was meant for me to read and to understand and to grasp and lay hold of and say, Jesus, this is what you really think about me. And it's not just what you think about me. It's how you think 
Our church should be in fellowship with one another. And I'm not just saying little C church, this church here. I'm talking about the church global, big C church, the universal church that belongs to Jesus that he will come back for. That's what he's after. That's what he is praying for in this moment. And so when he prays for his disciples, he's praying for all those that meet this criteria. He says this about disciples. He says, it's the ones whom you gave me. It's the ones who have kept your word. It is the ones that know that everything is from you. It is the ones that have received my words. It is the ones that have believed that the Father sent me. Are those not all descriptions of disciples? Of all disciples? Not just the ones sitting at his table, but all of us. All of us that believe in Jesus believe those things. Adhere to those things. Accept those things. That's why we said the Apostles' Creed this morning. We affirm everything that Jesus is praying in that prayer for his disciples. We are his disciples. He's praying for us. Not just the ones at his table, but us actually right now. It is descriptive of who we are as followers of Christ. You might be asking yourself, okay, that's great. What does any of this have to do with fellowship? Well, hopefully everything. Because if they're able to sit with Jesus at table in fellowship with Jesus, and then Jesus is willing to pray for them, there's one specific thing that stands out in that prayer, and it's verse 11. And I am no, when I am no longer in the world, actually it says I am no longer in the world. Jesus is already saying I'm out of it. He's not saying when, he's saying now, I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That we may be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. Last week we started in the book of Genesis. And we looked at the rhythm of creation that God established from the very beginning. And the rhythms that Adam and Eve were supposed to work in and live in, right? But we also read the passage where it said that we were created in the image of God. And then it says that they created us in their image. You ever caught that before? There is a unity of the Trinity at the very beginning in creating mankind. And so if we're created in the image of God, there is an image that is placed upon us that is about fellowship and relationship. About a oneness with each other, with one another, built under the body and headship of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's great news. In fact, in the very beginning, God even said it is not good that man be 
alone. We're not meant to be individuals in this life. But we've been built for relationship. Specifically, we've been built for rhythms of fellowship with one another in the body. Jesus was constantly in rhythm with the Father. Constantly in rhythms of relationship and fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And then he was in constant rhythms of fellowship and relationship with his disciples. He had his moments of being alone, but he also had his moments with them, teaching them, doing life with them, sitting at the table with them and cracking jokes, laughing at one another. They had time at the table asking questions, going deeper, wrestling with hard spiritual things. And then right before he goes to the cross, he prays that the disciples would be one as he and the Father are one. In fact, verse 23 in that same chapter says this, I in them, that Jesus would be in them, and that you would be in me, and that they may be perfected in unity. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And so what is the outcome of fellowship of, of that unity together? Love. That's where we get the song, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Because the disciples are loving each other through and through. There is a fellowship and a unity that exists. But here's where I want us to turn to as I finish up. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 47. Now you're asking yourselves, what does this look like? Okay, I get that it is built into how I'm supposed to live, but what does it look like? And I love this passage. In chapter 2, Verses uh, 44 through 47. And all those who had believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with all as anyone might have need. And daily they were devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a rhythm of fellowship. It's a rhythm of gathering together, of meeting with one another, not just on Sundays, not just in the church. In fact, there's a word in the Greek, it's ecclesia. And ecclesia means the gathering of people, and that's how we end up coming up with the word church. It's just the gathering of people. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's a people. The ecclesia is the people. And that is one way that we live into this specially, special fellowship, right? We have this weekly gathering that we participate in. Dallas Willard says this 
in the spirit of the disciplines on fellowship, he says, in fellowship, we engage in common activities of worship, study, prayer, celebration, and service with other disciples. This may involve assembling ourselves together in a large group or meeting with only a few. Personalities united can contain more of God and sustain the force of his greater presence much better than scattered individuals. The fire of God kindles higher as the brands are heaped together and each is wanted by the other's flame. The members of the body must be in contact if they are to sustain and be sustained by each other. Christian redemption is not devised to be a solitary thing. Though each individual, of course, has a unique and direct relationship with God, and God alone is his or her Lord and judge, but the life is one that requires some regular and profound conjunction with others who share it. It is greatly diminished when that is lacking. And I think the key word there is regular and profound conjunction. There is to be a rhythm of meeting with one another over and over and over and over and over and over again. We just don't do it once. We just don't do it every once in a while, but we do it regularly with a rhythm in our lives that says, I want to meet with somebody else that is a part of the body of Christ. And I want to meet with them, not just superficially, but I love how he says it, and a profound conjunction. A profound conjunction. I think this is where I want to push beyond just the idea of ecclesia, where we aren't just the church body, and this is where we gather for fellowship. This is not the only fellowship that God calls us to. It can be a rhythm that we put into our lives of fellowship, but it can't be our only fellowship. And here's why. I really believe that uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, enlightens us a little bit more to this. Paul says this, It's because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. It is from your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. See, Paul is getting at something greater than just gathering together. The word there is koinos. It is a, it is a fellowship that is far greater than just the ingathering in the church body, but it is a fellowship that goes beyond church walls, that goes beyond the gathering of, of a large group of people on Sunday morning. It is a sharing in the gospel with one another. It's a profound conjuncture where people meet together. And I love how in Acts it says, they went from home to home breaking bread. From home to home breaking bread. Do you have a rhythm of breaking bread with other people in your life? And when you break bread with them, is it with profound conjuncture? Where you're sharing in what the Lord is doing in your life, where your heart is enlivened every time you gather together with someone and you're just like, oh, let me tell you what the Lord has done. I just had a lunch this past Friday with one of my friends in Peachtree City, and we just sat across the table from each other, and we just started 
pouring our hearts out about what the Lord has done, about the good news that Jesus has really, I just got to speak a lot about what the Lord did in our church this past year. Oh my gosh, the Lord has done so much, and I can't wait to tell you more about that. Because I will, I'll get around to it. But the Lord did so much in our church last year, and it was so good. It's so awesome. It's so profound, and I got to share that with my friend, just to talk with him about it. Do you get to have those moments where you get to share that stuff with people that you break bread with at table? Where you're just chatting endlessly after you've eaten your meal, and you sit there, and you just converse about the things that God has done? Just as the disciples sat at the table of the Last Supper and just conversed with Jesus about the things of his life. That's what we're called to. I love what Ruth Haley Barton says, and I'll close with this. The purpose of journeying together in spiritual friendship and spiritual community, whether just two of you or whether you're in a small group or in a large body, it is to listen to one another's desires for God to nurture that desire in each other and to support one another in seeking a way of life that is consistent with that desire. Spiritual friendship is not for advice giving, problem solving, or fixing. It's not even about Bible study. Rather, it is to assist one another in paying attention to the movements of God in our lives through the spiritual disciplines and to support one another in responding to God's presence. That's the rhythm of fellowship for us to gather together and respond to what God is doing in the life of our friends, to respond to how we see the Spirit moving in them and through them and at work in their lives. That's a rhythm of fellowship. Build that into your life and see how much joy it brings you to share in that with others. It is so fun. It's such a joy. It's such a pleasure that can only really be shared among the body of Christ. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you so much for this fellowship that you have bestowed upon us. Lord, we ask that you would continue to build into our lives a rhythm of fellowship that we may see you and follow you in all that we do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.